Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of our podcast. I'm Lucas, I got Chris here. No Uriah tonight, but that's okay, because we are doing our first 2022 playoffs podcast. Chris, a lot to talk about here. I think both of you, both of us are very excited and like glad that we were wrong in a way at least so far in terms of the Sixers playoff outlooks right yeah so uh both you and I famously picked the Raptors to win this series um there's only been one game it's an important note it's one game but but um, it's an important impressive game yeah (laughs) pretty impressive game from the Sixers some might say the best game they've played all season some me, me and you. You mean um, some me and you? Yeah. Um, okay. I'll I'll run off some of the quick stats here. Three turnovers, which ties like a postseason low historically, like literally all time low in turnovers from the Sixers in the playoffs. They beat Toronto on the offensive glass. They outscored them in transition. I mean, it Went about as well as possible. 131-111 was the final score, Lucas. The Sixers ran out to a quick head start, and they didn't blow the lead. Again, the Sixers did not blow a big early lead to the Raptors. Right. There, there, was, a, there was a slight concern in the third quarter, but then we'll get to that, how that didn't become a concern, and right? And then that slight concern, they, like, came back. They punched back. We're Led by Tyrese Maxey later, yeah. 38 points. 22 and 14 dimes for Mr. James Harden, 4 of 7 from beyond the arc, 26, 6 and 6 for Tobias Harris, 19 points, 15 pretty big rebounds, I would say, for Joel Embiid in 37 minutes, and the Sixers didn't need their starters all the way through the fourth quarter. Lucas, big win. What were your initial thoughts once the game was over and you let that victory kind of settle in? Okay. I mean, besides Tyrese Maxey, which we're going to get to later, guys. Um, it gave me hope for the Sixers to have a deep run because the Sixers won without Joel Embiid having an all NBA performance. And that's important in this series because this is probably the one matchup where Joel Embiid's probably not going to have a night in and night out like advantage in terms of scoring just because the way that Toronto attacks Joel so much with double and triple teams, and we saw it again. But Joel, and he said in the post-game presser, Chris, he he said, "I'm letting the game come to me now, and I'm making the right choices." And which shows two things: one, he trusts he trusts his teammates now versus, you know, last year or the year before for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it also shows that you know he's becoming a smarter basketball player. It's not just about scoring for Joel anymore. We saw that with the 15 rebounds. Even though he only had one block, he was a very, you know, he was a deterrent at the rim, Chris. And we yeah. saw that. So I, I think just the fact that the Sixers won without an all-NBA performance from Joel, 5 of 15 from the floor, 9 of 11 from the free throw line, not like the most dominant offensive game, but like he still had four assists and 15 rebounds. One turn, yeah. uh, no, zero turnovers, zero turnovers for Joel Embiid, which is not something yeah. we're used to saying. I know. I, I mean, again, only three turnovers total. James Harden, 14 dimes, one turnover. Um, mm-hmm. Tobias Harris, only one turnover. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. As someone who has been somewhat of a cynic 
all season at various points um, as someone mm-hmm. who picked the Raptors to win and as someone who likes to keep my expectations low. And generally, the Sixers are pretty good at allowing me to keep my expectations low. It's kind of hard not to be an optimist after this game. No, Exactly. I, I think so, for sure. I think we we're both Obviously, changing our team. Yeah, this was like the best possible game Philly could have played and one of the worst possible games Toronto could have played. I don't think it's going to be a blowout every night. The Raptors are going to come back with some adjustments, I'm sure. Well, I don't know, Chris. We got some doubtfuls, but we'll get to that later, too. But, yeah, I mean, Philly won this battle across the board. There wasn't really an area where Toronto was able to settle in. They got into foul trouble early. Fred Van Lee picked up two fouls in one minute. That really hurt them. And... I'll say the the one area that hurt him was a three-point shooting. They shot 40%, but, I mean, you deal with it. But again, like, this game probably isn't as close as it was if they shoot a normal, like, um, rate from three-point range. They they were pretty hot from three. They lost by In the third quarter, yeah, yeah. So... That's notable. Um, let, let's talk about the stars a bit, Lucas. We'll start with Joel again. 19 points on 5 of 15 from the field. 15 rebounds. One block, as you said. He had four assists. Picked up five fouls there. Was in a bit of foul trouble, but obviously that didn't matter as much given the Sixers' lead. Flagrant and technical fouls in this game. I don't yeah. know if the flagrant was really necessary, though. Chris. Yeah. He had a couple of those, like, elbows to the face that Toronto fans were complaining about, and I get it, like, if you're a Toronto he wasn't. Fan, he wasn't trying to gra- hit his face. He was trying to yeah, climb yeah. his shoulder. Like, I, that's I what was going on. can reasonably say that Joel Embiid is a dirty player. He's now, really Pascal Siakam tried to kick Joel. I'll say that. Yeah, like, Joel is big and strong, and he's... A seven foot, three hundred pound human. Sometimes those guys don't. No, seven foot, six hundred pound human. Remember that, Chris. Yeah. Six hundred pounds. Those guys don't <laughs> maneuver in tight spaces quite as elegantly as like the six foot guards sometimes. So there's mm-hmm. some room for elbows to hit faces every now and then. It happens. I don't think Joel's dirty. What were your thoughts on his performance, Lucas? I think he played a smart game. Obviously, maybe not with the technical or in the flagrant, but like. You know, for all the humbug of him only shooting 33% in this game, he still got to the foul line 11 times, Chris. He impacted the game defensively with his rebounding and rim protection. Like I said, only one block shot, but he was a deterrent at the rim for all all the game. was, uh, you know, influencing shots throughout the game. And you know what I liked that I saw from him the most is that after that Pascal Siakam, you know, scuff up, he got pissed. And he let it, and he, you know, instead of, you know, it negatively impacting his play, he just went, he, he focused in even more defensively, which is a sign of mature and growth from Joel. Because I think in the past, especially like in the first couple of years of his career, he would have let that made him make him more, you know, unfocused and made more mistakes. So I, I really like that from Joel. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's easy to look at the box score and say 19 points on 15 shots from the scoring champ and maybe MVP is not great. But like you said, he played a really smart game. I think this is, speaking of maturity and evolution, this is just where Joel has gotten better in previous postseasons. If he was shooting like this from the field, he probably would have taken 20, 25 shots had a few more turnovers, and he'd be probably dragging down the offense at certain points. Toronto has gotten him to do that, gotten him to get tunnel vision and to take bad shots and to force the offense. That has happened with Joel in past seasons. It's not happening anymore. When Toronto is blitzing him and they're bringing double and triple teams off the catch, he's making the right pass, and he's hitting open teammates, and the Sixers are moving the ball in the half court. They're beating the rotating defense. That's what happened all game. Harden, Harris, Maxi, all those guys benefited from Joel making those quick reads out of the pass, out of double teams. That's just not something that was part of his game a couple years ago. That's just speaks to his improvement, his work ethic, and like you said, his trust in his teammates, which is definitely stronger this year than it was in years past for reasons that we don't really need to get into. Um, <laughs> but I would I thought, say he's had the most trust in his teammates since yeah. the 2019 season when he had Jimmy. I thought this was a good and B game. He was great on defense. 
His rebounding was huge. He pretty much single-handedly kept Toronto off the board there in, in the first quarter, had a few, four offensive rebounds. He's the reason Toronto didn't win the rebounding battle like they're used to. He took advantage of his size mismatches inside when he could. I think this was a really solid Embiid game, despite the 19 points, which is low for him. Like, he hasn't scored 19 points very much at all this season. He's been 25-plus pretty regularly. So it can, it looks like on the surface like a subpar performance, but I don't think that's what it was. I think it was a smart performance, and I think he took what the defense gave him. Um, so let, let's talk about James Harden now, Lucas. 22 points, 5 rebounds, 14 assists, only 1 turnover, 4 of 7 from 3. Not quite as successful inside the arc. Ended up 6 to 17 from the field total. But he got to the line seven times. What were your thoughts on his performance? I mean, at this point, I don't expect James Harden to shoot well from the two-point range, especially in this series, just because of the length that Toronto has. Even, you know, they had Scotty Barnes, Ananobi, uh, even Siakam would switch on them. Like they had their big guys. Usually one of their three big forwards guarding James Harden. And even if he got the switch on Van Bleed and Gary Trent Jr., they're both positive defenders too. So like, it's not an easy matchup, especially with him driving to the lane. I don't expect him like to go crazy from the two point line. It's the three point line that I'm looking at at this point. Is he, if he's a, if he's shooting around 35 to 40 percent from the two point three point range and you know he's still getting to the foul line it's a good offensive scoring game for him i think like you said earlier you kind of hinted to it 14 assists and only one turnover usually if james harden has 14 assists how many is turnovers does he have four or five right chris something like that like it's the fact that he was really smart with the ball and the highlight of the game was when tyrese maxey got a bullet of a bounce pass from James Harden from it was right before midcourt James Harden stopped mid run and you know two handed bounce pass oh you know he's threw it from basically like almost over top of his head bounce passed it right between like two defenders to Maxi on it and Maxi got the reverse layup Chris we didn't like I, I think that's one of the best passes I've ever seen the, his ability to stop full momentum and make the pass without traveling was just wow yeah so i i think that just kind of speaks to it there yeah not not many people can pass the ball like james harden um i would say he's the second best passer besides uh, chris paul in the nba right now him and chris paul it has to be those two maybe Jokic, but i don't know yeah he's certainly up there um yeah really strong james harden performance i He's just not going to be an efficient finisher in the paint right now. I, it's just not going to happen. We have to accept that. But if he's hitting four or seven from three, he's getting those step backs to fall if the Raptors are still committing attention to him defensively and he's taking advantage of the extra help that comes his way and getting quick passes out to Tyrese or Tobias or Danny. Sixers are going to be really hard to stop. Harden, like you said, played a really smart game in this one. In the end, 22 points on 17 shots is something most people would live with, especially when it comes with 14 assists. Like James is just one of the smartest people out there, and he's still doing a whole lot of good to help this team. It's easy to get frustrated, but for a guy who has been talked about quite a bit on the national stage these past few days, people talking about the pressure that's on him to win, his legacy, etc., this is a pretty strong showing in Game 1. Um, so let's talk about Tobias Harris here real quick, Lucas. 26 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists. Extremely efficient. 9 of 14 from the field, 3 of 5 from deep. What were your takeaways there? He He's not forcing his game anymore, Chris. And, you know, Tobias Harris, I think we both agreed he was like the one area concern that the Sixers should have because he pretty much stunk it up during the regular season in the, this matchup. A 12 points under 30%, under, you know, 30, 40% shooting from the field. It's, it's not a pretty sight, Chris. But what I think, you know, they talked about this training camp that they had during, mini training camp that they had during this, like, week of preparation. And Tobias said this really helped him, even though, like, he wanted to kill, like, some of his teammates or hate some of his teammates. I don't remember the exact quote, so don't quote me there, guys. But, you know, I, I, it clearly helped. And Tobias says, you know, has 
rebought into his role of being a quick decision maker. And that's what the Sixers need. He wasn't like going, he wasn't dribbling the air out of the ball. He wasn't, you know, taking bad shots. He was taking what the defense gave him, which five three pointer, three point attempts from Tobias. Chris, I think we both say that's a good amount for him to take, right? Yeah. So I, I have no complaints. And I think the underrated part, and I've noticed this, and I haven't really written on this, but maybe I should, is that. Since the Tobias Harris, I mean, since the James Harden trade, Tobias Harris has become a much more willing facilitator too, right? Like, it's not just me imagining that, right? Yeah, I I think what it really comes down to is he's making quicker decisions. He's being decisive with the ball. He's being more decisive with his passes, and it just generally helps the offense flow better in this game. I mean, again, he's really committing to that spot-up shooting role that the Sixers need him to commit to. We all were worried when the Harden trade was made if Tobias would be willing to buy into that role, and he has. Um, And again, with all the help that Toronto is bringing to Joel and James in this game, there were a lot of open lanes, a lot of open looks for both Tobias and Tyrese. Both of them took advantage. They were the two leading scorers in this game, and if Philly can get real production out of all four of their core players to that extent, they're going to be really hard to beat. Let's talk about one more guy here before we talk about Tyrese, though. Um, Paul Reed played 10 minutes. Lucas, he was a plus four. Um, Sorry. Good. The Sixers won the backup center minutes against the Toronto Raptors in the NBA playoffs, Lucas. And Paul Reed was the backup center. Tell me about it. I mean, Chris, this is your guy. This is the guy that you've been praying for forever to get minutes. And it's finally happened. I feel you you made the agenda here. So this is clearly this is this is just you giving yourself some fan service here. But I'll I'll tell you this. Paul Reed played with a lot of energy. He's athletic. He's probably one of the most athletic people on the team besides Matisse Thibel and Tyrese Maxey. He's probably the third most athletic player on the team. And against quick athletic bigs that Toronto has, he, and you know what? He's around the same size. I think he's five nine, right, Chris? So He's like as tall as Chris Boucher, who's their tallest player. He he provides a lot of defense, a lot of energy. And Chris, he only had, correct? Okay, four fouls in eight minutes, eleven minutes. Pretty much what we expect. We don't worry about the foul trouble with Paul Reed because we don't expect him to play a lot of minutes, right? So, and the thing is, you know, like oh, he's going to get some questionable calls just because it seems like the refs just have him pegged as this guy that. Is going to get a lot of fouls in short minutes anyway, so he's not going to get the benefit of the doubt there. I, I, I don't have anything to say about him. The only other, I'll, I'll shout out one other guy that played off the bench that I thought did really well was Shake Milton, ten points in fourteen minutes, two assists. I, I liked what I saw from Shake. I think that's a win for the Sixers as well. Shake and Niang Niang had eight points, two three pointers in that in that in his sixteen minutes. So. That's the type of bench production I think both of us were hoping for, right? They had, yeah. what, about uh, 24 points from bench players who played roughly about um, 60 minutes. Yeah, I think that's what you want. So yeah. I have no problem with that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people would say that the Sixers won the bench minutes because they have James Harden and Tyrese Maxey and Tobias out there now during those stretches. That's fair, but um, I would say they probably wouldn't have been plus four in ten minutes with DeAndre Jordan out there. Just oh, a, of course a not. Um, just a hunch too, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I will like just interrupt this like positivity parade for one bit of like doomsday prophesizing. If they get to the Miami series and Dwayne Dedman is the backup. Um, are, are we running Paul Reed out there? Do we trust? Ooh, Reed that's out? a good question because Deadman is a legit. What is he like? Six eleven, seven foot. Yeah. So. But he's a, but he but he is a stretch big though, right? He he, he can is, definitely but his. He's, he's a big stretch big. Um, dang dang it! Well, it depends on. I guess it depends on when uh, Bam Adebayo is out there too, because yeah. if if your rotations overlap where Bam's on the floor for part of the time. You can't play DeAndre against Bam. I think Doc realizes that. So we'll have to wait and see. Chris, I don't know. I don't know. But let's, you know what? Let's, let's see if, you know, I mean, Miami won their playoff game today against the injured Hawks. I kind of expect them to kind of 
run away with that series. Yeah, look, the Sixers have to win this series first. I, I don't yeah. want to, like, write off the Raptors or anything. Yeah. They, they still are more than capable of making this competitive. So mm-hmm. we have to get to Miami first. Uh, I'll say this, Chris. They had that, uh, what's his name, Banton kid get some minutes for the Raptors. I know you like him. Jelano Banton. Um, but, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. We have to get through the this Raptors series. But, Chris, it's it's time for the man of the hour, right? So let's go ahead and switch gears to him. Whoosh. Whoosh, that's right. Anyway, it's the Tyrese Maxey show, Chris, and we're all here just to enjoy it. I'm so happy for this, and I'm happy this happened in the first game of the postseason for the Sixers. We we both thought that Tyrese Maxey would have a somewhat of a coming out show. I don't think we expected 38 points, 21 of them being in the third quarter. 38 points, Chris. I think he's I think he's arrived at the all-star level of being an offensive, you know, all-star level player, Chris, don't you think? Yes. Um Look, man, Tyrese is freaking awesome. Um, he has done this just about every time he's been asked to step up. He like does it. He just continues to show out in these big games and these big moments. Um, look, 38, that's one shy of his career high, a new playoff career high. His first start in a playoff game. He was in and out of the playoff rotation last season, especially in that Atlanta series. I think he had like a game where he only played one minute this is really his first extended playoff exposure and the dude drops 38 points on 14 of 21 shooting five of eight from three if he hits one of those like extra garbage time shots at the end he scores 40 the dude is there he's making the leap offensively um I mean, there's not really much more you can say about it. He has gone from a liability behind the three-point line to one of the best shooters in the NBA statistically. He's one of the fastest players on the court every night. He's an elite finisher for a six-foot guard. He has the mid-range down. He has the floater game. He's confident playing off of James Harden. He can lead the offense when Harden's off the floor. The dude's just a stud. And the fact that he's doing all this at 21 years old is kind of mind-boggling. In his second NBA season, after being the 21st overall pick, still wild that 20 teams passed on him. And, you know, shout out to Mike Mascala again. Just thank you. To oh, him. yeah, the trade. Yeah. Um, two of the most important threes in Sixers history um, coming from Mike Mascala in a Thunder uniform. Um, thank you also to Markel Folks, who we would not have Tyrese Maxey if not for him. So. Sixers have a lot of things to be thankful for, and Maxie is one of them. He's really good, and I don't know if he's going to score 38 every night, but I think it's safe to assume that we're going to have some big Maxie nights in the very near future. So I had two thoughts about Tyrese Maxie here. One, it's interesting. You go from Ben Simmons' first overall pick and I, I don't want to make this a crap on Ben Simmons podcast because I'm not doing that the whole entire time. But I do want to say this. First overall pick at zero development and four seasons with the Sixers. Okay. Time out. It, 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 offensive development. Defensively. Okay. Okay. Offensive development. Okay. Zero offensive development in four seasons. And did not have the it factor in the wait, playoffs. Wait, Lucas, why are we talking about Matisse? Nice, nice try, nice try, nice try. Your eyes is not here to defend his guy. But anyway, <laughs> um, but no, seriously, Chris. And then you go from from Ben Simmons to Tyrese Maxey, twenty first overall pick, showed significant. From being like a fringe role player to being like offensive all-star level talent in two seasons, Chris. Two seasons. And here's the thing. I don't think the shooting is just a blip. I think it's an actual like thing because if it was just a blip, it would fade away in the playoffs. It has not so far. Granted, it's only been one game. But still, like it's not a blip here. And like talent recognizes talent. Both James Harden and Joel Embiid are giving... You know, Tyrese, high praise here. 
and I think it's justified. So, yeah. um, I will uh, just say, Lucas, that only one of us was brave enough to reverse their stance and vote for Tyrese as most improved player in our official ballots. Uh, he was second um, or third on mine in both of my ballots. By yeah, the way, well, that's not first, Lucas. Okay, I think. Okay. okay. Anyway, anyway, so. The other thing that I want to go to here, and this is something in both Maurice and Winston have been on our spaces here on the Twitter Twitter space for the Sixers since I was talking to them last night on another platform, and uh, they they asked me this question, and I think it's a fair question to ask, Chris. You think Tyrese Maxey will be the second best offensive player, or at least second best scorer that the Sixers have next season? Um. Second best score, it, it's quite possible. Uh, I don't know if I'd say he's going to be the second best offensive player. I'd still put money on James Harden if we're putting money on it now. But, um, you know, there's a long way to go. If Maxi's current rate of improvement continues, he could be even better next season. Um, so it's certainly possible that he's like the number two scorer next year. He's already a guy who just benefits so much from playing off of James Harden and Joel Embiid. I think that's part of why he's kind of having this renaissance is because a lot of the attention is just tuned into the other two superstars on the floor. Maxie's mm-hmm. the third guy and he's super fast. If you're like scrambling to get back on defense, Maxie's going to toast you every time. So he he's basically if De'Aaron Fox actually had a legitimate jump shot. Think yeah. about it like that. Uh, yeah, on offense. I mean, we're getting pretty close to Maxi just being straight up better than Fox. I think he's already better, to be honest. Yeah, he's pretty strong. Because think about it. Think, think, think about it though. Before Harden came, there was like a ten-game stretch where Maxi was averaging six assists a game. So, can he average six to seven assists without a primary ball handler there and still average around sixteen, seventeen points a game? Yeah, and that was pretty much on on efficient shooting. Now, I will say that Fox averaged more points, but it was on inefficient shooting. So what do you get there, Chris? I, I, I would say right now Tyrese Maxey is a better offensive player than De'Aaron Fox, who, you know, there was legit talks about, do you trade Ben Simmons for De'Aaron Fox at the beginning of the season? So there, there's that. But, Chris, let me go to my next yeah. question here. Do you think Maxey can keep this up for an entire series? Um, yes, I do. Just because he's kind of been doing this the whole season now, where he's just super duper efficient off the ball next to James and Joel. And then when he's brought in to be the lead ball handler, he can do his thing and get his points at the rim. Um, I don't think he's going to like average 38 points a game for the entire series. I think Toronto's going to probably make some adjustments there, which we can talk about to try to keep Maxi in check. But I expect him to continue to have a big series. You still have to devote resources to Joel. You still have to devote resources to James Harden, and you can't ignore Tobias either. And if you have Danny, George, those guys out there, those are legitimate shooters who you have to stay out on. So I expect Maxie to keep it up to some level. And, you know, if he is that like legit third all-star type of player, which I think we both think he is getting there, if not already there, the Sixers could have a pretty lengthy run here. So, yes, I, th- I think Maxi can keep it going. I agree. I think so, too. Regardless of whatever, you know, adjustments Toronto will, will make, and like you said, we'll definitely talk about that here in a second. But I, I think the way that Maxi gets you, like you said, is in transition, but it's also off-ball movement. And the fact is, Chris, he can hit it from deep, but it's not just like right at the three-point line. That deep three-point shot that he got on Precious Achua after, I think it was an offensive rebound, if, if I remember correctly. Chris, that was, it, it, when I saw it, it made me think of Damian Lillard when he was younger. Okay, that type of range. That was Lillard logo range. And I'm not going to lie, when I saw that happen, I jumped up out of, I, I was watching on the edge of my bed because I was, was watching the game in my bedroom. I jumped off the edge of my bed and I, you know, I was like, F yeah, which, you know, 
I felt bad for my neighbors and my sleeping daughter. Luckily, she did not wake up. But like, in all seriousness, like, you know, it was it was a hype moment. He's the type of guy that he him and Joel are like those type of hype players that do hype things that get teams and fan bases hyped. And I I just, I don't see Toronto. And the thing is like, they have long and athletic direct defenders, but they don't have anybody that's quick enough defensively, laterally that can completely contain Matisse. And I mean, think about it. Fred Van Vliet fouled out of the game in the third quarter, right? Yeah. Fred Van Vliet is one of the best under three, six foot three defenders. And granted him, he was guarding, you know, Tyrese and Harden too, but still, it's just, it's exciting. Yeah, it, it really is exciting. Um, I mean, obviously, Maxi has had some off nights in the past, but generally speaking, it just feels like he always shows up for these kinds of moments. Obviously, we haven't seen him on this biggest stage yet, but it was not at all surprising to me that he showed up. Did I expect him to score 38? No, but was I at any point in the night like, how is this happening? No, it's because we've seen Tyrese do this kind of stuff all season. He's he's a legitimate star level offensive player. So also yeah. season high 38. Yeah. Um. I I mean it's it's just like you can't really say too many good things about Tyrese Maxey at this point. He he just yeah. continues to to do the thing really well. So he'll be an all-star next year. I, I almost guarantee it, Chris, he has to be. Yeah. He's, he's certainly getting into that, that range. Um, but Chris, let's last question here before we move on. And we kind of hinted at this. What type of adjustments do you see the Raptors making in game two? Well, I, I certainly think they're going to be probably a bit more, I don't know what the word is. They're going to be a bit more selective probably with how they bring double and triple teams on Joel. Like they were really just blitzing whenever he touched the ball in this game that led to a lot of easy swing passes and looks for Philly. They're probably going to try to make James beat them one-on-one more often. Mm-hmm. They're probably going to try to put more guys. They brought a couple double teams on Maxi later in the game. They're probably going to try to shift some of the attention that was maybe on James Harden to Tyrese Maxey just because he's a bit more of a threat in the half court in a certain respect than James right now, at least like getting to the rim and getting downhill. So probably going to try to make James Harden beat them more. I would say that's probably the game plan. And again, like the Raptors are generally more disciplined and impactful defensively than they were in game one, I expect them to have better nights on that side of the ball, even if they don't quite have the size to match up with Joel inside. That's a really long and athletic team that has played really good defense all year. They're going to have better nights. It's not going to mm-hmm. be like, I, I don't think the Sixers are going to have any more three turnover games in this series, but that's what I would expect them to try to shake up after what happened in game one. I think you're right. They are going to try to send more double teams to him in the half court. I think they'll. It dep- if they had Scotty Barnes, which we'll get to here in a second, but um, if they had both Ananobi and Scotty Barnes, a hundred percent, Chris, you know, you could, you know, I would have Scotty instead of guarding Harden, I would have him guarding Maxi to start off because he's their best all ball on ball defender, which is saying something because Ananobi's up there too. I would have Ananobi on James. And like you uh, said, uh, I, I think if it, Fred just for like the speed element, I don't know if Scotty is fast enough for Tyrese. I think he is, but I mean, do you really want to risk Fred getting into foul trouble again? No, like, but again, like Fred picked up two fouls in one minute. That that wasn't all like Tyrese drawing contact at the rim or anything. That I know, I know. Bad luck. So. I don't think you have to worry about that most nights with six foot guards. So I'd say you like bite the bullet and try it again. Um, I just, Fred's not going to be able to do enough. Uh, You know, if anything, try Gary, because I think Gary's a bigger defender and stronger defender. I don't know. It's, it's not an easy match. Like you can't guard him one-on-one. 
that's the great thing about Tyrese. I, I think he's getting to the point where you can't there. Most players in the NBA are not going to be able to guard him one-on-one in the half court. And unless he, and Tyrese is not the type of guy like James Harden who dribbles a lot or needs a lot of pick and rolls to get, you know, to the basket. Like he's a really quick first step guy. So I don't think, I don't think you can double team him a lot unless he's like trying to run the offense, like set up the offensive, you know, set for the team. So I don't really know outside of that what you can really do. Like you said, try to get James Harden beat you more one-on-one, but do you really want to risk having James Harden go off? I don't know, Chris. It's, it's a tough proposition for the, for the Raptors. Yeah. I, I mean, I think if James Harden is hitting like three, four threes a night and he's hitting spot up jumpers and he's hitting the step back, um, at, you know, Toronto's kind of screwed. He's been a bit more inefficient than normal on those looks this season. He's been shooting like 30% from three with the Sixers. I I think you would like, ideally, if you're Toronto, you probably want James Harden trying to beat you off the dribble more just because those possessions have been somewhat erratic and less effective than they have in years past. Like, obviously, he's not finishing well inside. They have the he has no lift. For him inside, yeah, so... I I think that's probably what they're going to do is they're going to try to get James Harden dribbling the ball more and making but I know I I I Maxie's definitely a tough cover mainly because he's like playing off of three other really good offensive players. It's hard to game plan for all four of those. Just pick your poison, yeah. It's um, the nice thing about having a top end heavy roster is that it's hard to game plan for four guys. Yeah. Especially when you don't have the personnel to guard the best play, the best player one on one. And I was, I was, I was talking to those guys, you know, on, from the spaces and on the clubhouse app, and um, I was telling them the only team that's really equipped to guard you well one on one for a full seven game series, without having to worry about if their guy gets into foul trouble, then they're kind of then they'll have to bring double teams is the Phoenix Suns. They have three legitimate big men that can hold their, like, uh, like well, be... Al Horford's in Boston, you know? Okay, but right now it's Al Horford, and that's it, because if Al Horford well, gets in foul trouble, you don't have Robert Williams, and Daniel Tice gets eaten alive by Joel. If the Sixers run into Boston in the Eastern Conference Finals, Rob Williams is probably back by then. Uh, fair enough. And you're matching Horford's minutes to Joel. They're both playing 40 and 9. So I, I don't think it'd be too big an issue. It just depends on if Horford can stay out of foul trouble. That's which... true, but no one has guarded Embiid better straight up in their career than Horford has. Like, that's the guy who's done it more than anyone else. Well, more I mean, I don't think Brooke done has done a bad job. I don't think Brooke Lopez has done a bad job. It's just that, no, you know. I mean, there are other guys who have done decent jobs, like Brooke Lopez, Steven Adams, whoever, but. Al is like the guy who's done it the best, you know. Marcus All obviously used to, yeah. Yeah, like like Deontay Ayton tends to get cooked whenever he plays Joel. Not saying he wouldn't be a better deterrent than like Kim Birch, but uh, I think Al Horford's the guy I'd be most worried about on that account. Uh, okay, fair enough. But Chris, I think it's time for you to you switch gears for us. Yeah, so let's talk. about bit more about what Toronto's game plan is going to be moving forward here, Lucas. Again, the Raptors are a team that thrives in transition, getting fast break points, forcing turnovers. They did not do that in game one. They also are a great rebounding team. They crashed the offensive glass really hard. They did not do that in this game. They lost the transition battle. They lost points in the paint, rebounding, all that stuff. Do you think they have any chance of regaining control of those key areas in this series? Well, I think you said it earlier. I, I do expect them to be able to force a little bit more turnovers. Like, we're not going to see a three-turnover game from Philly again. Um, but do I expect them to regain the advantage on the boards? I don't think so, because I think Joel's taking that as a personal challenge on the defensive end. And on the offensive end, it's just not just Joel. Danny Green's a good offensive rebounder for a wing. Tobias Harris is an underrated offensive rebounder. Like, you have some good offensive rebounds. And Paul Reed, of course, you know, your favorite guy. I I think the offensive rebounding 
I think the rebounding is going to go to the Sixers just purely because Joel's going to take it as a personal, you know, challenge, and he's done well doing that so far. And then, you know, on the offensive end, Joel's literally the biggest guy, and he's he's like, oh yeah, I'm the biggest guy. Let me play like the biggest guy and go for the boards, like I have been. And you know, he's focusing his inner Andre Drummond, and he's doing a pretty good job of it. So. I'm not too worried about the rebounding. It's like I said, I think the, the turnovers are going to be the issue. I think, you know, they, the Raptors, like you said, they had an uncharacteristic game. They, they're one of the best teams in enforcing turnovers in the league, if I remember correctly. So I, I don't expect this to be – I think we're going to be averaging probably – the next game I wouldn't be surprised if we saw like 15 to 20 turnovers which I don't think is ideal, but could it happen? Yeah, I think it could. Yeah, I, I mean, if we know anything about the Sixers, it's that they definitely could turn the ball over a lot. Um, yeah, I, I mean, look, at the end of the day, I, I I, still think Toronto has a chance, again, to make this series competitive. I, I, I think they're going to be better. Nick Nurse is a great coach as far as adjustments go. I'm not quite as, like, bullish on Toronto's overall roster construction as I was a few nights ago. I definitely think the Sixers exposed some pretty obvious weak points, but their defense is probably going to be more connected, better game plan. They're going to probably try to match Philly's physicality. That's really what like determined game one is that Philly came out and they played hard and they tried to beat Toronto at their own game and they did that. Um, if they don't do that, if they get like a days ago after such a dominant win, then Toronto can really, you know, turn that against them pretty quickly. Um, if the Raptors get into like a high paced game, generally that's not going to be good for Philly. Um, so I, I certainly think they are going to have better nights defensively. They're going to have better nights on the glass. Sixers have been such a like poor rebounding team all season. I agree that Joel is taking it personally. All the guys are. Tobias, James, Paul Reed. You have good rebounders out there, but I don't think they're going to dominate the glass quite so thoroughly every night. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, this could still go like six or seven. I, I don't think the Sixers are necessarily guaranteed to roll to victory mm-hmm. in this series, but um, Toronto certainly has a lot they need to fix because it was a mess across the board in this game. They, I think the offensive glass will be something that they can dominate the, the Sixers though, Chris. I just because yeah. Toronto is always looking to run, so they don't always have like guys they don't have enough rebounders always. And they have good athletic rebounders, but when you put size and girth against that athleticism, let me just tell you like this, Chris. You know I played basketball in high school. There was a guy on my team, he was skin and bones, but he was like 6 foot. I got more minutes than him at the power forward spot. And the reason was, even though I was 5'10", the reason was is because he could not box out to save his life. I put my butt into him. I backed him out. I boxed him out. Got the rebound a lot of times. And that's what the Sixers are doing in this series because these guys don't have any you know, weight to them. So that's, and that's what Joel's doing too. So I, I think the offensive rebound, I think the rebounding battle is going to be I, th- I think it's going to still stay in the Sixers' favor. Maybe not as lopsided as it, as it was in game this game, but I, I think we're going to be okay. So let, let's talk about Scotty Barnes now, Lucas. Um, unfortunately, seemed to have a pretty nasty ankle sprain there in the third quarter. Joel came into the paint, spun, and kind of stepped on his ankle. Not Didn't look good. Really unfortunate, obviously. Scotty was probably their best player in that game up to that point. He was stuffing the stat sheet. I think he had like 17, 10, and 8. Obviously a very talented defensive player. Probably going to win Rookie of the Year by the looks of it. He's now doubtful for Game 2, along with a lot of other reserves for Toronto. But with Scotty in particular, Lucas, how does his potential absence impact this series? Well, he was 15, 10, and 8. Don't give him any extra points than he already has, Chris. Okay, one. No, I'm just joking. But I think you're dead on. I, You know, you can make the argument that he's the second best, second or third best player on this team. 
and arguably the best perimeter defender or overall defender because he can literally guard one through five if you need him to. Um, and he's a playmaker, eight assists, like you said, 10 rebounds, two-way player. He was guarding James Harden for the majority of the game. Chris, if he's not a, he's a no-go for game two, and I think we're still waiting on the MRI imaging while we're recording this on Sunday night. I haven't seen any notifications whether or not he is a go or not. But if, if assuming that he's not, because I think it's safe to say, because he's doubt, listed as doubtful right now, Chris, um, first off, they lose a the playmaker, and they go, all goes on Van Vliet and Siakam, which they're they're good, but having the extra playmaker is a big deal. And you lose a 15-point-per-game score and your best perimeter defender. I mean, it's going to cause issues because you don't have much depth in terms of perimeter defense. You, you have, I think, Watanabe came in after that point, Chris. Like, you, you have three bigs and Thad Young, who is doubtful for the game because of a thumb sprain, I think. And then you have um, Gary Trent, who's solid, but, you know, and Ananobi, but they're starters. You have to go to Watanabe or Malachi Flynn or Banton, who are all, like, you know, fringe rotation players, Chris. They don't have much depth on the perimeter. And... <laughs> It could be a really good thing for the Sixers in terms of, you know, not having to worry about elite defensive pressure for, you know, 48 minutes. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, Scotty is the backup point guard for the Raptors. They don't bring in. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Off the bench generally. So you'll have to either do Banton or Malachi Flynn. Yeah. And like no shade to those guys. They can play, but. That that's a really big loss for the Raptors. Scotty's really talented, and he does a lot around the court on both sides of the ball for that team. If he's not in the rotation, that's just a really massive hole, and it really kind of takes like some of the bite out of that team. So, yeah, it, it's certainly not good. Obviously, you hope that he's healthy. You want to beat the team at full strength if you can. Scotty's oh, Gary super- Trent Jr. is also doubtful, Chris, because of um, a, Ill, a non-COVID illness. So you're missing, you're mm-hmm. you're potentially missing Gary Trent, two starters, and one of your best reserve bigs and Thad Young. Yeah, it, it's it's not great. Um, yeah, I, I mean, look, hopefully Scott is good to go tomorrow night. Like you, you want the guy healthy. He he's had a tremendous. I, I feel bad for him. Yeah. He's a really fun to watch. It was really an unfortunate like accident. So, um, yeah, hopefully he's on the floor tomorrow night, and we don't have to like talk about what if. But if he isn't healthy for tomorrow night's game, or for a couple games, or for the rest of the series, it's going to be a pretty big what if for Raptor fans, and it's going to really help the Sixers. Um, mm-hmm. If he's not out there, like that's a really big chink in their armor. That's one less high-level perimeter defender to throw at guys, that's the primary defender on James Harden that you just don't have anymore. So And it makes them less switchable, too, on defense. Yeah, you're losing one of your best rebounders, your backup point guard, your primary James Harden defender, and a really talented, like, switchy 6'8 defender. Like, you're losing a whole lot with Scotty Barnes being out. Um, and and Gary Trent Jr., who's yeah. been really it, good, and Thad Young, who's been really yeah, good. it sucks. Um, but let, let's talk a bit now about the half-court offense, Lucas. I, I feel like most of these series in the end basically come down to top-end talent and your ability to score in the half-court because games tend to slow down in the playoffs. The guys who can just generate buckets from scratch, those teams tend to do better. That's mm-hmm. not really Toronto's game, and we probably should have factored that in more when talking about the team coming into the series, but we didn't. Lucas, do you think Philly's half-court offense is just too good? Against the Raptors? Yes. Against other elite teams? I'm not sure. But for for the sakes of this series, yes. Because you think about it, you have Tyrese Maxey, who can, who can beat almost anybody off the dribble in, on Toronto. James Harden is still a pretty good three-point shooter, even if his two-point shot is not going in. Him and Joel both get to the foul line. Joel's become a better passer, which means easier shots for James, Tobias, 
whoever else is on the floor. Tobias is making good decisions, which makes him an efficient offensive player. Like, and then you still have three-point shooters like Shake Mill and George's Niame, Danny Green, and hey, Chris, backup center B-Ball Paul is playing pretty good too in terms of getting you all second chance points. So yeah, I, I think against the Raptors, this this offense is just probably half court offense is enough because that pick and roll with James and Joel is just pretty hard to beat. Because even if you take the those two out of the play by you know sending double teams to both or whatever, they'll make the right pass to whoever's open, and more than likely they'll make the shot or the right play. So yeah, I, I think they the offense the offense is too good against the Raptors. Yeah, I, I mean, even before the series, when I was picking Toronto to win, because, as Uriah would say, I was maybe a bit of a coward. Um, I was like, <laughs> basically, on paper. Philly I'm not looking forward to Uriah coming back on the podcast this yeah. Wednesday. He's he's going to give us the business. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, on paper, Philly was always the better team here from a playoff yeah. perspective, from a record perspective. They have a top 10 defense. They have Joel Embiid, the best player, and they have more half-court scoring threats than Toronto. They should win this series. And if game one was any indication, they are in a really good spot moving forward, especially if the Raptors can't quite get healthy moving forward. Uh, I, I think the odds have swung pretty considerably in Philadelphia's favor. Now, again, the Raptors are a really special and unique defensive team. If they can play their game and they get going, Nick Nurse is a great coach. I don't want to write him off or write him out. I like mixed out and off into Alf. I don't want to write him off, but I would probably put my money on Philly right now. Well, hold up, hold up, Chris. Hold up. We haven't gotten to that part yet. Just, okay. just relax. Well, we're going to get relax. there. But yeah, yeah. I, I think it might be too good for. The Raptors. Yeah. All right. But as you almost jumped the gun there, Chris, let's talk about predictions for the rest of the series, okay? So who wins game two? Um I don't know. I wanna like say Raptors just to jinx it and <laughs> like the reverse jinx that clearly worked for game one, um, just to keep the streak going, but I don't know. They're going to adjust. They're going to bring out different looks for Joel and everyone, but Joel's also not going to score 19 points again. And if they're missing a couple of key guys, I'm going to say the Sixers win game two. Yeah, I think I'm with you there. I think the Sixers definitely won game two. Losing two starters and one of your best rotational bigs, best defensive rotational big, I think it's just too much to to deal with, to be honest. I think you have to say the Sixers win there just because I, regardless of what adjustments you make, you're losing your, your, you're probably losing your shooting guard who's dealing with illness and then who clearly was hampered in that game. Cause I think he went two of 11, didn't score until the third quarter. Um, Scotty Barnes looks that injury. I mean, just from eye test, Joel basically, uh, you know, on accident, but he stepped on his foot going full force. Joel jokingly calls himself 600 pounds, but he's really like 270 on a foot. Ooh. That would probably keep most players out two weeks, to be honest, Chris. And then uh, who knows with adding his young thumb, even if he goes, like, I just, I see the Sixers winning this one, regardless, just because I don't think Toronto's as deep as we thought they were, especially at the guard position. So, yeah, yeah. That's, that's how I feel about it. Um, Chris, now you can tell me who wins this game, this series, and in how many games. Has your prediction changed from the Raptors in seven, is or is it still the Raptors in seven? Yeah, I mean, look, on principle, should it change after one game? When you said it was going to go seven anyways, which would imply Toronto probably winning at least once on the road. And Philly probably, or Philly taking, yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, Yes, the Sixers are going to win. What am I talking about? The Sixers are going to win the series. I was already kind of not really believing myself when I said the Raptors were going to win in seven. I was kind of letting my fear speak for me. Um, 
Sixers in six is what I'll go. It could quite honestly be Sixers in four or five if the Scotty injury is like a lingering thing. Um, <laughs> I'll say Sixers in six. I will like again, just so I don't like totally jinx the Sixers into losing this series. Toronto is more than capable of putting up a fight. They're a real team. Mm-hmm. Lots of respect to Nick Nurse and Pascal Siakam and Fred VanVleet. But Sixers and Six is what I'll say now. Yeah, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow your lead and change my pick as well. I had the Sixers, uh, the Raptors and Six. Yeah, the I'll, Raptors I'll take... four, right? No, 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 don't pay me like that. I had the Raptors in six, but I'll say that I have the Sixers in six now, too, just because, well, I mean, it depends. It really depends on the Scotty Barnes injury, because like you said, it could be four or five, because I think he makes that big of a difference for that team. But you know what? I'll say six. I'll say six. I think they get one on the road, even without Matisse. Especially if Scotty Barnes is out game four or five, yeah, I, I think mean, they look, get. I, I think I think they get get one on the road. Yeah, go ahead. Matisse Matisse was a total non-factor in game one. Like I, I, yeah, I don't think, think his absence is going to be that big a deal against this Raptors team because they're just not a good half-court offense. Like in general, like obviously you'd like to have Matisse out there to chase around Fred VanVleet and stuff, but the Raptors are you don't not need a them half-court to. team. And Tyree he was only a plus three defense. I'm not saying Matisse doesn't help in, in like with transition defense or in other ways, but he's not out there for offense. The Raptors are a team that likes to swarm. If you put Matisse out there, that's just one extra guy they can ignore and take advantage of. So I don't think this is really a series where losing Matisse for two games is like a death blow. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree for sure. Um, Chris, now it's time. Now that we got the Sixers out of the way, I want to ask you: What are your thoughts about some of the other games going around in the in the playoffs right now? The Bucks just beat the Bulls in a very close game, under a hundred points for both teams. The Suns are about to play the Pelicans, but the rest of the games have already been played. Game one wise, what are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, Pelicans in five. No. Um... Wow! Wow! <laughs> no, that's not a real. Thing. I know. I, I um, know. Yeah, a lot of good basketball being played. Obviously, just before this podcast, I was watching the Boston Brooklyn game. That was such a good. That end. was that was a lot of fun, right up until the end. Kyrie put on a show, and made him obviously the bird. The big, yeah, um, you know, Kyrie has had a a very strange and upsetting season in many ways, but the dude can put on a show when he wants to and. His relationship with Boston fans is pretty entertaining to me. So, you know, that was fun. I I really enjoyed the Minnesota-Memphis game. Uh, That's a really tough matchup for Memphis on paper. And as great as that Grizzlies team has been all season, again, like depth does not matter quite as much in the playoffs. And what does matter, again, is being able to create offense in the half court. And Memphis does not have that the kind of firepower that Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell can generate, they aren't really that kind of half-court scoring team. Like, John Morant gets to the paint. Desmond Bain's a great shooter, but they don't have a ton of, like, go-to perimeter scorers in the same sense that Minnesota does. So, And Stephen Adams cannot guard. Yeah, and Stephen Adams cannot. Minnesota has a lot of confidence. They've been waiting to get here for a long time. That team could like make a run here they could they could i I like minnesota as a dark like could they get frisky and get to the second round i think so i i don't know who their second round matchup would be off the top of my head golden state they're not getting past golden state no but they that would be a fun series to watch though yeah i mean i think that edwards talking about like 20 year olds showing up on the big stage Anthony edwards is a stud He's going to be a superstar. I I don't think Minnesota made the wrong pick. Now I think we both thought at after one year, oh, Lamelo Ball was the best player. Nah, yeah, I'm going to yeah, say Anthony Edwards. You're right. Um, I I like Lamelo a lot, but Edwards is a stud, and as, he he, uh, he he's the next Dwayne Wade. I gotta I gotta represent. So you know, go go dogs. Anthony Edwards is awesome. <laughs> 
Uh, he, he's the next Dwayne Wade. I'm calling it. He, ha- he, he just has it, but yeah, a better dude, shooter. Like, no one deserves it more than Cat. Dude's been through a lot. He's kind of been toiling in mediocrity for years because that team just hasn't been built around him. Now that they have some pieces, like, good for Cat. I'm happy that they're at this point and on this stage. And I, Cat showed up too. Cat had a big game. Russell's not going to be as quiet as he was in, in game one. Minnesota He's going to have his moments. Really great defenders. They have a couple vets like Pat Bev. Like, that's a real, that's a real team. Yeah, I, I like it. Oh, by the way, shout out to uh, the current GM of the Timberwolves, uh, Sasha Gupta. I think his name is. He was a uh, he was he worked under Sam Hinkie during the process. So a little Sixers connection there, Chris, for you. Yeah, I mean, just another another thing that validates the process. But yeah, I, I think Minnesota Memphis is going to be a real series. I, I think the Heat are going to probably sweep the Hawks. Yeah, Boston, without Brooklyn Clint Capella. Boston, Brooklyn, man, that is that's going to be the the tightest series of them all. Mike, I don't know if it's the funnest, but it's going to be the tightest because just the talent between those two teams. And if yeah. they both get back their defensive anchors and Ben Simmons and Robert Williams during the series, which is possible, more likely for the... Okay, let's talk about Ben for a second here, Chris. Uh, we, we shouldn't need to, but I'm just curious your thought here. If Ben does come back for like 15 minutes a game during the mid part of this series, do you think it turns the series in the Nets' favor or gives them an o- overwhelming chance to win it? Yeah, I, not really. I don't. I don't think it changes too much. It's only going to be 15 minutes a game, probably, like you said, and. They just don't, they haven't had any time to integrate him into the offense. That's a guy who's kind of tricky to build into the game plan because he doesn't space the floor. Like, who are you playing? I don't. Center? I, yeah, I was about to say, I think you can only play him with either Blake or, uh, which who's, who's not in the rotation, or, yeah. um, or LaMarcus Aldridge, who has been in and out of the rotation. So, yeah. Because uh, him and Drummond would just know. Yeah. We talked and, about it when he, yeah. Ben is an all-star, and he he's going to eventually help them in a lot of ways, but he's he's going to complicate things quite a bit if he's just shoved into the rotation in the middle of a playoff series, and that's mm. not like his fault. That's not a knock on Ben Simmons. I'll, the Sixers had to change pretty drastically stylistically with James Harden. It just happens when you add guys like that. Ben obviously has the added complexity of not being a shooter, and... You have to build your offense around that to a certain extent. So he could help them in 15 minutes a game, no doubt. Like, obviously, he would be their best defender by a country mile. And they need more bodies on defense after what we saw in game one. They uh, didn't really have much to throw at Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. So he would help. But he would also probably hurt in a couple ways just by the nature of him being thrown into that situation so suddenly. And... I think it'd probably be a wash in the end. So, no, I don't think it would swing the series in any meaningful way. The Sorry. Phoenix series, Phoenix-New Orleans series is going on right now, and I'm already loving it. So, anyway, sorry. Yeah, the Pelicans are a lot of fun. Um, I, I tell you what, if they can get Zion back healthy next year, this could be a really fun off. It's good, good team. Like, you know, the argument, sure. ESPN was making the argument could the Sixers be better with CJ, Seth, and Drummond versus just James Harden? I don't know. But CJ is looking like yeah. a star right now. Um, yeah, look, man, I'm I'm just maybe a little bit bummed about Tyrese Halliburton, but it's okay. Um, yeah. Would I, you have rather had Tyrese Halliburton than James Harden? Look, obviously in the moment, I was a big, like, you've got to take the swing on James Harden and see what you have. And we have to see what he looks like next season after a full year of recovery. And obviously, like, 22 and 14 times, he's still doing a lot of crazy good things. He's still a brilliant player. He's probably still, quote-unquote, better than Tyrese right now. But you're, like, taking the long view. And, like, Tyrese obviously elevates the Sixers quite a bit still this season. And you're, like, locked into at least seven more affordable quality seasons from that guy. So Tyrese Halliburton or Tyrese Maxey? 
well, both of them at that point. Um, okay. I kind of wanted, I kind of, I kind of wish in a way, I mean, I was all for us getting CJ McCollum. I, cause I didn't think James Harden was an option. Yeah. I thought I, 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 I'd still like favor Harden over McCollum, but I think Halliburton's like the really interesting what if. I don't know. Well, I just don't know what. I'm really interested. Then, then James for sure. He might already be doing that. Like, it's definitely a conversation. He's about three years younger, I think, right now. Yeah, I I um, like how much James elevates like Tyrese and Tobias. I don't think I like the fact he's same. the best playmaker. Yeah, I yeah, I don't think you're getting that same kind of juice out of CJ. He probably scores more points than James, but I don't know if he's elevating the other guys in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is in the really special part of what James has brought, but. CJ's probably going to age a bit more gracefully, just stylistically. I, I, I just, I don't know, because here, here's the thing. If James Harden has really lost a step, I think he should embrace more of a playmaking and more of a, a three, like, if you're off the ball, you're becoming a three-point threat. Because obviously, Chris, he doesn't have lift. We don't know if it's going to come back. If it's not coming back, then I would say, instead of trying to be a foul hunter, you try, you... You're a good three-point shooter. You're good off the catch and shoot. Try to maximize that now. Because I think that's the best bet you have for him to still play at an all-star level. You know, be a pass-first point guard that can catch off the, you know, be a threat off the ball in terms of a catch and shoot threat. And, you know, if you can go to the basket occasionally, do it. But, like, that should not be the main staple of your offensive game now. Yeah. So that's that's just me, but... Anyway, we're getting in. We're getting off topic, Chris. I think it's time for you to go ahead and close out the podcast. Yeah. All right. So to all our listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in to yet another week's episode of the Sixer Sense podcast. Please like, subscribe, and follow along if you wish on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Audible, or just listen at our website, thesixersense.com. We are on Twitter at Sixer Sense and on Facebook at Sixer Sense. Please follow us there for all our content. And until later this week, we'll be back to discuss game two and game three. So until then, peace out, everyone. Go Sixers. Go Tyrese and Go Paul Reed. All that fun stuff. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone.